later on today's episode. Explain like the importance of relationships when it comes to us. And I really had not thought, I mean, I know what she's saying, but I hadn't thought about it really coming down to it in this way um Mm -hmm. because she really started talking about us in relationships and she connects it in a variety of ways even in kids we're gonna get to kids in a minute but um she said historically african societies were arranged based on kinship relationships the extended family was sort of an interdependent unit that provided for the care of the children the sick the elderly Um, In African cultures, your nieces and nephews would consider themselves brothers and sisters instead of cousins. Um, Now, (laughs) I was just about to say, like, if if you are are familiar with African-American culture, then you know we call everybody our cousin. Okay? Mm -hmm. We will call somebody our cousin or our brother or our sister who's not really our Hello, this is Patrice. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Here at the Melanated Intellects Podcast, we talk about everything from Black mental health and personal growth to Black world history. And my name is Shayla. Here you will find a balance between topics everyone is talking about and topics no one is talking about. Either way, we guarantee we will be bringing our distinct intellectual perspective. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Welcome to the first official, first official episode of season three of Melanated Intellects. We hope that you listen to our welcome episode because there are a lot of changes coming um, this season. There's a lot of great announcements that we had there. And if you have not heard that, please make sure you go back and hear that episode. Um, what we did talk about in that episode is how we've read a lot over the break and how we're kind of honing in and refocusing some of our topics and direction of our topics in regards to melanated intellects. And a lot of the things that you guys love and that we've done before falls underneath sort of the new reframing, but it's black mental health, personal growth and black history, of course, black world mm-hmm. history. Um, so with that being said, we did some reading over our break. Uh, I guess you can call it our summer break, but yeah, over our break. And we wanted to highlight a book discussion today. Um, We've been trying to get things together to be able to have a book to kind of unpack with you guys for some time now. And that's something we hope to be able to bring um, more than just now. So this is a book discussion and the book we are highlighting is Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome written by Dr. Joy DeGroote. Um, it's a popular book. A lot of people have read it. And if you haven't read it and you've probably heard or seen her lectures, uh, she has lectures all on YouTube. We do not know her personally. This is not a, you know, uh, we're not getting paid for any sort of affiliation. Um, but I first saw the lecture and then I read the book and I think the same for Patrice. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to put out in advance that, the copies that we have were are from 2005, right? So when we refer to stats or anything that we're going to speak about from the book is written from the 2005 perspective. Of course, things have changed now. That was almost 20 years ago, 17, 17, 18, 20, uh, almost 20 years ago. So please keep that in mind. Um, and we're excited. This is going to be a three-part series because there's so much to <laughs> unpack with this book. And you, and if you've been listening to us for any period of time, you know, we unpack something, whether it's a term, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether mm-hmm. it's a term, whether it's a subject matter, it doesn't matter what it is. We going to unpack, we going to dissect it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's exactly what we'll be planning on doing here. Um, I asked in advance for grace because there's a lot of like notes, <laughs> highlighters. So you're going to hear some pages turning. Okay. <laughs> we both got our copies of our book and our notes and posted notes, trying to get everything together for y'all. Uh, we wanted to be as seamless as as possible. We'll kind of walk you through in a similar order that the book walks us through. We'll try to go, you know, in the best order that we can for those, particularly for those who may not have, um, who aren't familiar or haven't read it. Um, she's fascinating. I, I just think, you know, she's written other books outside of this one. Um, we were just talking about before we hopped on. So, um, Dr. Joy DeGruff, um, so definitely check it out. I'll, we can list the uh, official book and the spelling of her name, excuse me, <clears throat> in the description. That way you have it, you know, if it's something that you want to check out. 
Um, so post-traumatic slave syndrome, that's the name of the book. And that's what we're tackling today. Patrice, anything you want to say before we hop in? We need an Amazon storefront um, because <laughs> the amount of people I'm sure we've sent there for purchases, including of this book, uh, will be, yeah, we need to do that. But um, huh, yeah, a lot to unpack with this book. I don't have anything to say. I don't know why I'm trying. Let's just get into it because okay. there is a lot here. Yes. So yeah. much to unpack. If you haven't heard the term post-traumatic slave syndrome, I want to set the scene here and kind of give you a definition that was um, put here from the book. This, I'm so excited. I just, I don't even, I'm so excited. There's so much to, to break down and to talk about. Um, so post-traumatic slave syndrome or PTSS is a condition that exists when a population has experienced multi-generational trauma resulting from centuries of slavery and continues to experience oppression and institutionalized racism today. Added to this condition is a belief, real or imagined, that the benefits of the society in which they live are not accessible to them. This then is post-traumatic slave syndrome. <clears throat> and she kind of added an equation to that, if you will, which is M, M, M as in Mary, plus A as in Apple equals P as in Paul, meaning M represents the multi-generational trauma plus A, which is absence of um, opportunity to access the benefits available equals P, which is post-traumatic slave syndrome. Um, I think essentially the premise, um, you know, to sort of wrap it up nicely for you is that um, based on slavery, she focuses, uh, particularly here in America, but I think this can definitely apply to slaves outside of America, the multi-generational trauma that that impacted and the behaviors of African-Americans today and things that we might consider to be part of our culture might really be behaviors stemming from our trauma that's been passed down um, from one generation to another. And so what a fascinating concept and idea. Um, Patrice is going to hop on over to some general definitions. And also, um, you know, she is, Dr. Joy is a doctor. She's a psychologist. Um, and so the way she kind of laid this out was from a very scientific perspective, but obviously she's a black woman, right? So she also was, is in our community. So that dynamic was very interesting to me and very effective to me, the way she laid out the information. Patrice, I know you had some things you wanted to talk uh, to in regards to that. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> I want to preface this, if that's the right word, um, with post-traumatic slave syndrome is a theory, right? formulated using facts and I think that is the piece that really makes it very enlightening to me I think you know when it comes to racism those who are going to speak most about it are those who are going to be the ones who experience it right and the shit end of the stick for lack of better words right those are the people who are going to speak heavily about it um, the oppressed. So oftentimes when we are discussing it, we are coming to the discussion around feelings that mm. felt like a microaggression that felt like it was because I was black that, you know what I'm saying? Especially in today's world, because outlandishly calling us the N word, you know, we see it on social media, but in reality, the likelihood of experiencing it in a grocery store or, you know, uh, just in your day to day has become a lot less likely than it was before because of the perception of races as a whole. So it's it looks very different today than what it did, say, in the 50s, 60s, 40s, 30s, 1500s. OK, um, and so I kind of I wanted to spend some time on how she breaks down race um and i guess the evolution of understanding the races of humanity so you know kind of how we grew up to understand race and how we um 
you know, understand it from a educational perspective, how it's evolved over time and so on. And, you know, this section, chapter one specifically, when she goes into this, made me think about my first encounter with the concept of race. And I've shared the story before where I was a kid, I wanted to, I was coloring myself and that my favorite color was purple. So I wanted to color myself purple. And my teacher was like, you are not purple. I was like, what do you, I, I want to be purple. So mind your business. <laughs> and she was just like, no, you're black. And she handed me the black crayon. And I was like, excuse you? Because that wasn't accurate neither. Like, I'm not black. I'm not a black. What? And I'm, you know, remember people, I'm a literal person. So for me as a child, I heard, I saw the black crayon. I thought, I am not black. I'm not, what do you mean? And it, it was a pure level of pure confusion at that point for me um and i think that was probably about kindergarten first grade so she kind of breaks down and asks why you're you know the reader break down the usual colors of identification for race and she goes into black white brown yellow red and politically she was like um this is usually aligned with and she goes into the different ethnicities um and from there she kind of dives into the biology of human beings um and actually the true instance and in how race isn't something that it's real but it's we put more value into it than what it actually is um, she just breaks down how the term race and our reference to various races, the biology of human beings is such that there are no differences between humans. Race is frequently characterized by skin color, hair texture, facial features, etc. And I thought about that. I thought that is so true because if you think about it, dark, darker complected Asians are not considered black people. Mm. you know what i'm saying and darker mm -hmm. complected for the longest time darker complected latinos also were not considered black people for the longest in fact there's a big disconnect there for afro latinos and representation for that exact reason so and i thought to myself damn like it's literally afrocentric and which is i don't know why i never put that together i mean I think we have learned over time that black people exist everywhere and in every culture and every religion and every country. But in terms of like actually honing in on what we consider to be black people from a society standpoint, especially here in the United States, a dark skinned or brown skinned Asian would not be considered a black person because of their features or their hair texture or what have you, or if, or there'll be question like, what are you really, you know, in, mm. in the U S. So I think that her breaking that down, um, and using James King's, who's the author of the biology of race, um, discussion to kind of sum it up is very powerful. So I'm going to leave with that description specifically. Race is a concept of society that insists there is a genetic significance behind human variations and skin color that transcends outward appearance. However, race has no scientific merit of sociological classifications. There are no significant genetic variations within the human species to justify the division of races. So, with that being said, I hope that puts everybody on the same page about what we're stepping into when it comes to as we analyze and break down this book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I hope that I hope that did a real good job of setting the scene of the book <laughs> and where we're about to head. Um, I think, <clears throat> of course, we it's so many things in the book that is worth speaking about. We cannot highlight them all. And we were just sitting here right before, like, oh, man, are we going to talk about this? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, no, are we going to talk about that? You know, uh, let, let me make sure we add that, too. You know, so um, if you have read the book and if for some reason we don't go over something that you thought was important, it's not that we didn't consider it. It's just that <laughs> it's just a lot to dissect. So mm -hmm. let's hop in because um, she also uses, and I, I can tell that she's a true teacher because she's also a professor. Uh, because she uses stories sometimes to bring her mm -hmm. point home, which for me really, you know, helped clarify some of the things that she was speaking about. So the first story that she shares was her time in South Africa. 
And she went to South Africa after um, the apartheid was over. And I'm going to give an official, um, let, let me not make it saying it's official. Uh, it's a Google uh, search definition of apartheid, of which uh, <laughs> was in South Africa, a policy or system of segregation or discrimination on grounds of race. I, based on my um, limited experience, I would associate that most closely to Jim Crow um, here, mm. you know, mm-hmm. when Jim Crow was here. Is for for those who may not know. So anyway, so she's in South Africa right after all of these laws and and uh, things were changed. And I think she kind of considered herself to be a little rebel, going around at proactively asking black and white people about it, like, well, you know, what's up with that apartheid? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, essentially, people's response kind of startled her. You know, everybody was like, yeah, it wasn't good. But black and white people were like, yeah, it wasn't good. We're glad it's over. You know, and she kind of kept asking a few more people just to be like, oh, that I wasn't expecting that response. You know, I expected, for, you know, people to be upset about it or people to have, you know, something negative to say. And that mm-hmm. just wasn't the case. It wasn't the case. And that kind of startled her. And I think for me, I kind of went on as she was telling the story, a similar journey to her of like, I would totally, from, from my, my experience here in America, I would totally expect for that question to warrant some sort of, you know, feisty response at least at a minimum mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and that wasn't the case and so anyway she talked about why that wasn't the case and she kind of threw out some possibles like well for one it was a relatively short lifespan in comparison to what we've experienced here so she explained that that was about 45 years for um apartheid okay mm-hmm. so she's like, oh, that could have been it um perhaps it's because they voluntarily gave up the system you know, people wanted to give up the unjust system. It was something that everyone, or I won't say everyone, but a lot of people were aligned with. Um, she also said perhaps it's because South Africa admitted their crimes to the world and really wanted reconciliation. They had truth and reconciliation hearings. Um, many white South Africans own up to the crimes they committed against their Black countrymen. Um, whatever the reason is, it's really clear that that's not the case here, right? Because even current day, when she refers to current day, she's talking about 2005, of course, when she's writing the book, but I would still say mm-hmm. that's fairly current day. Current day here in America, there are people that you can ask just about segregation and they could be salty about it right Hell, and that, today mass incarceration <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah there's so many things that you could talk about in the issue of well, let's compare apartheid to Jim Crow even Jim Crow mm-hmm. like there are individuals in the midwest and in the south who today you gonna get some sass about this subject matter mm-hmm. um so that really stood out to me and it you know it's not the first time that I've heard um racism show up and she's gonna we're gonna unpack this with American chattel slavery we're gonna get to that later but um that's not the first time that it's come up or that I've heard of experiences in other countries where racism and even slavery existed and was real or even genocide like she she referenced that Nazis right happened but the aftermath after it happened is very different than what's here you know what I mean? Like there was an acknowledgement, there was reconciliation, there was laws put into place to make sure that this is not the case. There was there was just a lot of thought put into this thing, whatever the event was that happened to reconcile and that that has not been the case here. So I've heard about that. Uh, Patrice, what are your thoughts on that? She says racism has run like poison through the blood of American society since the beginning of America, essentially. And she calls out that America's and Americans' denial of their blatant racism and the attending atrocities committed throughout the nation's history has become pathological. And, you know, um, from 2005... Thinking about that time, not going to age myself, I remember an active discussion of racism doesn't exist. This is before camera phones were being used to show it the way that it is today. 
And I remember how heavy we had to really push. And personally, I remember how traumatizing of a discussion that was personally, because I had just had my life changing experience with racism to the point to where, you know, I almost didn't graduate high school. And to hear people, both black, white, whatever ethnicity, say this was very complicated for me coming from the South where I had just experienced it in a way that was so life-changing, you know? Um, And it was so dismissive of the experience of individuals that, and, and now it's, you know, it's on camera all the time, but that, you know, imagine the occurrences prior to that. And so, you know, I, I think that it was even magnified that now it's every, it's an everyday discussion. Everybody talks about racism almost every single day to some extent. I feel like we talk about it, especially in our community, pretty regularly. But especially at this time when this book was published, people wanted to pretend it didn't exist while the systems that were created still oppressed African Americans. Um, so... It is a very big difference when you are comparing to these other countries and these other other traumatic, tragic, tragic events that have impacted groups of people worldwide. Um, And the correction was a true correction. But I think here in America, what's different is, you know, to her point about the acknowledging it, admitting the crimes, keyword crimes, to the world, owning that. I think what's different here is there was replacements, which is very different. So instead of slavery, we had indentured servants and black clothes. Instead of indentured servants and black clothes, then we had Jim Crow. And then instead of Jim Crow, you could not vote. You couldn't, you know what I'm saying? Like there was mm-hmm. always something put in place to continue to limit access to health care, voting, you know what I'm saying? And, and so on. Public spaces, you know, redlining, gentrification, you name it. Um, housing crisis that impact, you know, minorities more than any other group of people. So there's always been a replacement to keep ties to what has oppressed African-Americans in the U.S. um, to bring that home. Yeah, yeah, um, it is quite different. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and I'm sure the the meaning, the real meaning runs even deeper than what she or you or I um, are mentioning. Um, but yeah, that reconciliation part wasn't fully really or at all addressed um, in that way. And it wasn't a clear line in the sand of like, hey, mm-hmm. sorry about that. Let's move forward like that. Here's how we're going to help you out to undo undo, to the best of our ability that um, did not take place. And I don't know if it, to her point, time matter, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're talking about hundreds of years as opposed to, you know, and I don't mean to compare it just specifically to what happened in South Africa being 45 years, but even if you speak about the Holocaust or other things that are just genocide, things that happened that was not okay to groups of people, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because the time span was shorter. So then individuals who are still here to say that, right? Like no one is still here from when slavery started, right? Because it lasted hundreds of years. Physically, no one's still here. So I'm not certain if the time span matters or if the time span matters because after hundreds of years, it's become so normalized and inbred it that this feels like, I don't know what you're talking about to me, because this is now a part generationally what I've been raised to do and taught to do and taught this. Okay. I'm not really certain. Um, I think she raised a good question. Uh, I thought she, she thinks she threw some solid things out there. I don't know that we'll all, we'll ever really have an answer for that, but it is very interesting. Um, sometimes when I hear about experiences in other places, because I'm just like, wow, 
Um, you know, racism can look different. We spoke about this in season one briefly, but racism can look different in other places. And mm. I, or we as African-Americans really only know American racism. And so when we hear about racism showing up in other places, at least for me personally, me and my sister were just talking about this last night. It's, it's shocking mm. in a different kind of way, because like, that's, I didn't even associate what I, my experience with what you're saying to me was this experience over mm. here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. I I think it's a combination of things because so slavery went on for four hundred years, right? So that is four generations. That is your grandma, your mom, you, and your offspring. Maybe right? even more. Yeah, but years. and then also those who are in proximity to it in overlap, right? Right. Right. So um, and that's saying. Everyone lives to 100, you know what I'm saying? There's so much to that. That can be even shorter, what have you, right? Um, It hasn't even been gone that amount of time. That's true. You know what I'm saying? So you're talking about, at this point, how long did we say it's we've been out of slavery, what? 18. Well, I mean, it depends on what what you're counting. Are you counting? And and even that is really even hard to define it. Because it was, I think we went over this in the 100 years of Black history. Please don't quote me like exactly. It was like 80, it was 80 something years. Yeah, eight, late 1800s. But from the time right. emancipation happened to the time the last slave was free was like, like a long exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> Hence Juneteenth, yeah. right? Um, but so, the, so you add that, right? And even then, Think about the actual events. That's what's documented, right? Uh, 1863. This is just a Google search. Do not come for me if I got the year wrong. Yeah. Just a Google search. 1863 is the Emancipation Proclamation. So you're talking about two generations, basically, to, to now, essentially. Oh, you know what? I misquoted that. That was from the first state that was free, had free, to the last one was 86 years. So not necessarily Emancipation Proclamation. It's like from the first state that said no more slavery to the mm-hmm. last state that said no more slavery was like 86, 83, something like that years. So two generations, roughly, right? Okay, that's is essentially yeah. what it, it comes down to. So a little over, let's say two and a half, two and a half generations is what it comes down to. Okay, so you're talking about, if you think about that in lifespan, of someone's lifespan, that's not long at all. You get what I'm saying? So, I I don't know that time from it, I I think the problem is the disconnect between time from it. I think that's a part of the problem. We like to make it seem like it was B.C., but it's not. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's real. (laughs) Okay? It's not, sweetheart, it's not, okay? You're talking about, like, a direct line of lineage okay like and it's not like grandmother yeah and she talks about this in the book but it's not like slavery ended and that was it right like there was systems systems sharecropping jim crow right like all of these other things that happened after that and we kind of highlighted that if you guys haven't heard our four-part series on 100 Mm -hmm. years of black history, I kept mentioning dates and being like, this was not that long, but like, this was 70 mm-hmm. years ago. Like my grandmother's in her seventies. Like this was not that long ago. Right. 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 So. And, and, and I want to be, and I want to be intentional and draw that line too, because slaves did not hear the announcement and go run and go vote and buy a house and get a job. That's not what happened. It was, what do we do now? And it became, okay, I will work so I can survive and live off these crops. And even then, once that became outlawed, you know, then it was, and even then to some extent it really wasn't. Some people were sharecroppers. Well, you know, I have family lineage that I've seen of sharecroppers in my family. So that went on for a very long time. Then it was, okay, well, we're going to give them access to different rights, but these states, these systems are going to make it very difficult to actually get it. So if a law was actually signed to say to allow a little more rights, states would then turn around and put in place state laws that still mm. made it incredibly difficult to access. And even then, 
the the effort, the the interest of even trying to vote, of even trying to go and get a job, to even trying to get live in a certain community will lead to lynchings and murders and beatings. So we need to be clear about that. You know, we say the chattel slavery ended. We need to be real about what that actually means. You know, and mind you, while this is all happening and folks just trying to get access to fucking resources, other demographics are owning businesses, passing down inheritances, homes, automobiles at some point. You know what I'm saying? Like things are moving forward, going to school and other demographics, whereas black people did not have that experience or access. Yeah, and I think also the point to that, especially when you speak about generational trauma, mm-hmm. um, I just did some quick math here. Emmett Till would have been 81 this year. Medgar Evers would have been 97 this year, right? So like, I, I was really open about the fact that my grandmother passed away last year. She was 90, meaning she was between the ages of Emmett Till and Medgar Evers. I'm 33. That is not that long ago mm-hmm. for for me to have a person who I personally had conversations with in my adult life mm-hmm. who lived through a time period where Medgar Evers and Emmett Till was a real thing that she could have. She, she wasn't down south. She was up here. But life wise could have known, seen, heard about, saw, been a part of not that long ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really important to put into perspective and she does mm-hmm. talk about that right in the book this you know because that's something that people like to say like oh that was a long time ago it wasn't that it wasn't even a hundred years ago and that's just their ages that's not when they died mm-hmm. that's how old they would have been that is not how long it's been since they died mm-hmm. so it it is really important to put things like that into perspective and then just even you know my parents were born in the 60s like MLK, Malcolm X, civil rights, like, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. a relatively young woman. That 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 was not that long ago. <laughs> it mm-hmm. was it just wasn't. But they try to make it seem like it was. Um mm-hmm. so anyway, so I want to move on here cuz she starts to break down and sets the foundation when it comes to us as people and some of the things that we value within our culture and why it's important to us. And she used an example of relationships and she used this story of two white men who would work in an office. This was theoretically, right? Or I don't know if she actually knew the, the people, I don't remember, but two white men who worked in an office together that didn't like each other, right? That happens sometimes with coworkers. We've all had coworkers mm-hmm. we don't like. And they worked there for many years, double digit years, ended up retiring from there and never liked each other, but were able to get their work done. They were able to, you know, uh, play on the golf course, go to the 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 company picnics, et cetera. Right. And then she kind of switched the story to say, like, what if this was two African-American men that would not work? And she explained, like, the importance of relationships when it comes to us. And I really had not thought, I mean, I know what she's saying, but I hadn't thought about it really coming down to it in this way. Um, mm-hmm. Because she really started talking about us and relationships and she connects it in a variety of ways, even in kids, which we're going to get to kids in a minute. But um, she said, historically, African societies were arranged based on kinship relationships. The extended family was sort of an interdependent unit that provided for the care of the children, the sick, the elderly. Um, in African cultures, your nieces and nephews would consider themselves brothers and sisters instead of cousins. Um, now, I was familiar. <laughs> I was just about to say, like, if, if you are, are familiar with african-american mm-hmm. culture then you know we call everybody our cousin okay mm-hmm. we will call somebody mm-hmm. our cousin or our brother or our sister who's not really our brother or sister or cousin or auntie right like mm-hmm. so that really i was like oh my goodness like right like immediately i was able to see myself and what she was talking about and just what is normal for me mm-hmm. i can remember um i can remember this experience and i and i think because i i call it cultural but perhaps now I know it's a part of 
a syndrome, right? But something I defy, define as culture is, is African-Americans' relationship to each other is very important to us. And I can remember this time where um, I was in college and I was on scholarships and it was really important for me to maintain a high GPA, right? As it would be mm-hmm. for if you was on scholarships. And mm-hmm. a friend of mine's mom passed, right? And I needed to go support my friend, obviously, right? Like not even mm-hmm. a question. And mm-hmm. this professor like really gave me a hard time because I was going to be missing an important quiz or test. And she had kind of set this precedence in advance in the beginning of the class, like you can't miss, you know, X amount of days or whatever, whatever the rule was. I don't even recall right now. And like, I really had to fight to retake the course that I missed. And I'm, I'm looking at this lady, like, you don't understand who was just lost. Mm-hmm. because for you perhaps in your culture that's just a friend's mom but mm-hmm. like that is so much more for us in our culture than it is that e- even if me and the individual are not are not me and the individual who passed excuse me are not if we didn't keep key and talk every day it's still just respect for who the individual was and what they represented in your life and in de- certainly in the life of my friend, right? Like right. Th- there's no way I could have not been there. And um, she really like, I, I was very bothered and upset over her just not understand, not getting it. And mm-hmm. I really kind of reflected on that moment when I read this because perhaps culturally or traumatically, I don't know, relationships mean something to me that obviously it did not mean to her. Yeah, I I would say, I would, yeah. I think there is something to be said about our need to be able to trust the people we spend our time with in our culture. Fully. Mm, mm, that's fair. And it has, it has taken a level of adjustment to navigate the world and be okay with the fact that you can't. I think oftentimes we are taught, you know, people who are real, it's going to have your back. Like these are our codes coming from our community. And these are our defining measures of who to allow within our space and who, who we spend our time with. And so when we go out into the world and we are interacting with others and they don't possess these same understandings, there it it can become difficult you know i think for me i had to gain a different level of i'm gonna call it emotional intelligence to understand that you know you may work for somebody you don't trust you may work with somebody you don't trust you may you know what i'm saying like but it's important but you gotta keep going like you know what i mean that can't be why you quit because things like that are going to happen um but it, it took a level of an adjustment. And to your point, I experienced something similar as well as it related to school when I was a teenager and I lost my sister and my grandma. The same thing happened where I really had to like help these teachers understand like this is really traumatic for me. This is a situation, you know, and I felt like I had to do the same thing. I had to really fight to get them to understand and have some level of empathy. I was asking to take the work with me. I was asking, you know, every type of in and out to work with them. And I experienced the same thing, um, which I didn't think about, to be honest with you, till you said that just now, I did not think about that at all. Um, I, I think that, which we'll cover later, or I guess right now, <laughs> I'm gonna just, I'll just segue into it. You know, um, a part of what Dr. Uh, Joy talks about that she experiences is some of the communities had different laws or um, signs, I should say, that warned um, other outsiders from the different tribes that she visited in South Africa um, on what they would and would not allow. And so one of the warnings was possession of illegal weapons could condemn you to 25 years in jail and community and family rejection. Please hand it in for the sake of your community. And 
there's an emphasis that she covers on the impact of family and community as a result of someone breaking this, I'm going to call it a law. I don't know if it's really a law or how they value it in, um, in this country, but it makes so much sense to me why, you know, that tie to personal relationships and interpersonal relationships, because I don't know, like there's a couple of ways I look at things like this. And on one end, you know, the value of your tribe, if you think about it, mm-hmm. or it takes a village, concepts like that, as far as a unity that we try to uphold, you know, and here in the U.S., which, you know, aren't that great because of systemic issues, and blah, we already know about that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it kind of mirrors that concept to me, or at least the attempt of it. And then also, it also kind of brings me to how much we value these these personal relationships and how they impact the world that we navigate from an education and work perspective, you know, um, and I'm going to go ahead and jump, you know, she talks about being a teacher and working with students and the impact of working with these students and learning that, you know, some students, especially in this predominantly African-American environment that she was in, responded better to um, being shown empathy and saying things like, you know, like a hug or um, you're doing great. I forgot what her exact words were. Um, Is that I'm counting story? on you. I believe that you can do a really good job. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the story of Johnny. Um, yes. She kind of used mm-hmm. an example of a story of Johnny and how a teacher, I don't think this was her personal experience in this particular example, but um, okay. a teacher might reward um, students with, let's say, a star on the board, right? If they did good today and, you know, things of that nature, which is normal, what we might see in like a kindergarten, preschool, first, second grade type of situation. She used the example of Johnny, who represented a black little boy who maybe for the first week or two that worked, and then that didn't work anymore. And perhaps a, a non-black teacher maybe jumping to some conclusions about why this not didn't work for Johnny. Um, I don't remember if she explicitly said, but where my mind went was labels, right? Because we like to get tested and, you know, there could be other things when she was like, in react- actuality, the reward for Johnny would have been better if it was a relationship. And she kind of used, and I think I have a quote here. I know you're <laughs> going to get all of your seat work done because I'm counting on you. I believe right. you can do it. Black children like learning through imagery is also something that she mentioned. So the relationship aspect was really important. She also mentioned sometimes, uh, let's say a a black child at any age comes home and they don't have good grades, right? And their parents might ask, why don't you have good grades in that class? And that we might respond, the teacher doesn't like me. Mm -hmm. When technically the teacher not liking you has nothing to do with the schoolwork that you do. But for Mm -hmm. us, it has everything to do with the schoolwork that you do. Right. And so this was a fascinating concept to me because I really thought about how many times relationships shows up for us in the workplace, at school, and how it means so much to us and really may not mean much at all to our counterparts and what gets missed in translation, like what gets misinterpreted, what gets misunderstood, because we have this value system on relationships, good good or bad. I'm not, I don't wouldn't want to change that about us, that other people don't have and don't understand and then when we show up in that way you confuse um Mm. the same she kind of mentioned later in the book about disrespect Mm -hmm. oh child you know you don't want to disrespect us even when i was even when i was reading it i felt a certain kind of "Mm -hmm, girl yeah Mm -hmm. they ain't gonna disrespect me you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and how, you know, what that, what the value we place on things like that. So I, the concept of relationships being in our value that we place on relationships really being a symptom of post-traumatic slave syndrome was a fascinating one to me. She also mentioned how, you know, um, historically our relationships were separated, 
right? In slavery times, you, you, you know, whatever relationship, whether that be a family unit or a tribe tribal unit that was split up, separated, sent to someplace else, never to be seen again. And the, the impact that that had on African psyche, in addition to obviously all of the obvious reasons that being enslaved would have an impact on one's psyche is yet to really be calculated and determined. And what a fascinating concept. Yeah. And, you know, and that was actually just about, that's where I was going. I feel like with, you know, you, you take a culture or a group of people whose core foundation isn't money. It's not possessions. It's their unity, their village, their tribe, right? And you mix them all up with other tribes and so on and so forth. Maybe they're enemies and maybe people they don't speak the same language as, what have you. Mm -hmm. Bring them to a whole nother country. That's if they survive. Then while they're there, you keep them separate from other individuals who don't look like them while still continuing to tear them apart repeatedly over and over and over again. And I would even go as far to say but further past slavery, even with things like Section 8 and men not being able to live at home, they're not being able to be two incomes in order to qualify, uh, mass incarceration, you know what I'm saying? I would even go as far to say that, that continuous tearing apart of Mm. homes and preventing the ability to build back up. And when it is built back up, we see Tulsa 1921, the Tulsa riots where Mm. it's burnt down, you know, or what happened with the original central park in New York. It's, you know what I'm saying? So it's a continuous repeated history of tearing. What is the core value of African culture apart? Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. Um very much um astounding um for sure. And I told Shayla this like had I not heard all of this already before years ago through the lecture first. I won't say all of it, but a lot of it. I I was very familiar with these concepts. I'm in pretty decent detail, if not even vaguely. Um I, this would have absolutely been a trigger book for me, like 100%. Mm. I would have struggled to get through it. And I'm not going to lie. I definitely don't think anyone should speed read through this. There's mm-hmm. so many moments of reflection and God, Lord, goodness gracious. Like the, the licks keep coming um, in terms of realizations. That's for damn sure. Um, but this relationships piece is key because when I think about the conversations I'm witnessing all over social media, because y'all know I like to sit and observe the dialogue amongst our community about different concepts, what's happening in the world. And when I see some of the dialogue that's unhealthy, that definitely doesn't work to bring us together, more so separates us. And it has only members of the melanated community. I can't help but question like, are we doing the work for them now? Goodness gracious. Like where, where are we going? Where, Mm. what is the goal, you know, um, as it relates to trying to heal from all of this, but, um, yeah, the relationships piece was huge, but, um, I'll, Shayla, I know we wanted some, we had wanted to kind of transition over to, I believe it was Barbara, right? Story of Barbara. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. she also, in, in addition to relationships, when it comes to our children, she also talked about symbolic imagery in the way that we learn and um, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I know, um, you know, in my personal experience, and I also know several educators, um, there's a disconnect sometimes when it comes to non-Black teachers teaching our children, right? And mm-hmm. so she, I think she was a middle school teacher. I believe it was sixth grade. Yeah, I think it was sixth grade. And um, anyway, she was telling the story about how she had some visitors in the classroom that was observing um, her and they kind of asked her in advance, like, what would you guys be going over today? And I'm going to mispronounce these. Okay. Uh, But they are, they are drugs. Um, And essentially it's barbiturates. Help me out, Patrice. Do you think that's it? Patrice don't know. (laughs) 
know Patrice don't know. I don't I know don't. why I asked I don't. her. I, I mean, I was drinking some water, girl. I'm sorry. I, I don't, Shayla. Um, the way I stared at those long ass words, and I thought, I don't think I've ever heard of this. I'm just happy I don't dabble you know, because I'm not trying to get like Barbara. But you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not trying to go back to sixth grade. If you don't use it, you lose it. These um, kids and then, are smarter than me. <laughs> I think it would that bar whatever is going to represent the B. Okay, and then mm-hmm. the A was amphetimes, amphetimes. I don't know, uh, but anyway, A that's what we're gonna call it takes you mm-hmm. to the top, B's take you to the bottom. Oh, amphetamines, I do know amphetamines. Oh, amphetamines, <laughs> yes. I don't think I've ever seen amphetamines spelled out. Okay, um, mm-hmm. okay, but the barbiturates, you know, I'm sorry, uh, I'm adding uh, more syllables there. Barbiturates. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. Anyway, she tells this story, um, and I, 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 hate, I don't want to minimize, uh, you know, uh, Barbara's story, uh, but essentially, you know, she was in the neighborhood. This is when Joy was little. She, she grew up in L.A. I'm pretty confident. Yeah, she grew up in L.A. Yeah, she went to Crenshaw High. Okay. Yeah. So she grew up in L.A. And um, she was just speaking about this story that she had when she was little because. Um, Barbara was just like the neighborhood essentially crackhead. That's what she was, right? Mm-hmm. And um, then they were really little kids and it was a group of them and um, essentially they watched Barbara get beat up or so most of the children thought she got beat up but Joy could see that she was getting stabbed, right? Obviously a traumatic for a child to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joy ran home and she told adults, right? And it took much longer than it should have for somebody to get out there and check on Barbara. So anyway, she's telling, she's telling the story much better than I am to this, these sixth graders is the point that I want to make here. And the sixth graders are like hanging on everywhere. Like what, what happened? Is Barbara okay? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And they're kind of asking her and throughout she's kind of reminding them like, okay, a is what? And they would respond. Mm -hmm. No, that's not, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Uh, That's not what I meant. A would ask is what, and they would respond, takes you to the top, right? Oh, got you. There we go. I was so about to, I know this one. No, that word. Uh, My bad. It is amphetamines for the word. For the it uh, is amphetamine. It is amphetamine. <laughs> Excuse me, I never see amphetamine spelled out. Don't judge me. I'm claiming myself to be an intellect, and y'all don't judge me. Anyway, uh, but anyway, she would ask them about a okay, you know, and then the children would respond, you know, take it to the top, and then b, and they would like take it to the bottom essentially is what I'm referring to. She would stop periodically and ask to check their understanding of this as she's telling the story of Barbara. But anyway, so she had kind of the children, you know, on the edge of their seat about what happened to Barbara after all this time had passed. Joy went back home. She got adults. It took forever. The paramedics came. Barbara wasn't where they left her. So like, where is she? There's blood everywhere. You know, she kind of leaves them in suspense and they find Barbara on the front porch of a nearby home and she's still alive. Right. And so she just teaches the story of, she teaches the story of with using imagery, the example of, you know, A being up, B's being down. And then she kind of tested them on like, okay, so which one do you feel like Barbara was probably on? And the answer should be A, A to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially is what kept Barbara alive through this attack that she had, right? So she goes on to just prove to her visitors um because this is sixth grade right yeah this is sixth grade right and so originally when you think about the subject matter like they're not going to be able to you know understand this concept she's like oh yes they will and she proceeded to teach this so I think that's a good example of imagery and I know other black educators have told me similar stories just using things that you might consider to be okay, drugs or violence or things like that. But also, and I'm not putting this on Dr. Joy, this is just what I've been told from the educators I know, depending on what communities you are in, unfortunately, that's what they know, right? Mm-hmm. In middle school, that's what they know. So I so she, I know this one educator is like, that's what I use. I use drugs as an example for them to understand math because unfortunately, that's what they're surrounded by in their environment, right? Or I use, you know, this violence as an example of a story to help them understand because unfortunately, that's what they know and see every day. Um, So I just thought like, wow, like that's, 
crazy and interesting about how her perspective on how we learn through imagery and how important relationships one and then now connecting the imagery is to us when it comes to learning anything you want to add to that um no uh yeah no Uh, you pretty much hit it all yeah i go on to say that she kind of sums up the ending of that with this lesson about cult when cultures um become overly concerned with relationship to the material world so like if Mm -hmm. materials is more important to you your relationship to material items are more important to you than your relationship with people excuse me and she kind of uses the example of like ford uh this was many many years ago um long time ago and they kind of they knew that they had a recall on something and instead of replacing it they just did the math and was like actually people suing us will be cheaper than us replacing this item whatever the item was and mm-hmm. they were right mathematically and she like has the math in the book that like Ford used to do this but that in that once people found out cuz people obviously found out right that impacted how people saw the company and that changed your bottom line much more than what you thought it might have. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that was an interesting example to kind of bring it into a current day example of, of how we can see that show up. Um, so this is interesting. There's so much to unpack here. Um, we're going to continue to unpack it. Um, Patrice, is there anything you want to add before we wrap up this episode? Lessons to be learned. I definitely encourage people to read it though. You know, if, mm-hmm. if, Yes, read it. I just honestly, I think everybody should read this. This is something that I should feel like I feel like should be in schools, diversity, equity, inclusion, employer discussions, panel discussions. Um, because I, I've I've said this before, racism. People like to just say it's a bubble that exists, and black people are impacted. That's it. They don't always like to literally draw every single line and trace every single step and connect every single dot of what that looks like for each aspect from healthcare to our relationships to connecting things back to pre-colonialism in terms of behavior. I have yet to see that happen anywhere outside this book. Mm. I've seen a few celebrities who will go to Africa. I think it was Jordan Peele. Or maybe it was Kendrick Lamar, I can't remember. And I meant to look this up this morning, um, who discussed, you know, going to a function in Africa and the kids are out back and the adults are on the front patio and, you know, the food and that. And like there was that uh, dynamic there, similar to what we do here. You and I, um, we were, when we, we discussed, I believe it was the Haitian Revolution, we talked about uh, the process of, dancing and food and you know connecting that to spirituality amongst the haitian culture so like we we have traced the steps ourselves but i'm sorry i just feel like there's so much education needs to be done there i think even folks who are still in africa don't realize just how much alike we even are still with Mm. some of these behaviors um because this is something i plan to elaborate more on later but I think everybody got PTSS, whether you were a a colonizer, a slave, or the one that was robbed, which is Africa itself. Mm. I think we all have our own experience and how this impacted impacted from all ends. Um, And I would like to dive into that as well. But that is a whole other couple of books, I'm sure, down the road. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So... Yes, come on back, folks. We got more. Yeah, please come on back. We have more. So much to unpack. Um, uh, We have two more episodes, so make sure you click on the next two episodes. Um, Or if you're listening to When Right Right Comes Out, then uh, you know the next week we'll be having another one for you. So lots to Mm -hmm. unpack. Thanks for tuning in. As always, if you have not, please go to IG and follow us there at Melanated Intellects. Um, you know, share, share, 
uh, like, mm-hmm. subscribe, make sure you turn on your notifications. Um, and just in case you missed it because you didn't listen to our welcome back uh, episode, which I hope that you did listen to or will go listen to. But just in case uh, you missed it, there's an opportunity to take a survey. So be on the lookout for that, um, not only in our episode descriptions, but also in our link in our bio on IG. So um, we appreciate you. And until next time. Bye.